we see a blue globe that is spinning. And you see the white clouds and you see the land masses when the clouds are clear. But in this created earth, in this created place to live, God developed a place that is perfect. He created the perfect mixture of air to sustain life. Now, just a little bunny trail here at the very beginning. Um, 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and 1-2% to other things, minute gases needed, and the atmosphere around the earth to shield it, to absorb the sun's rays, uh, to also bounce some off, different things like that. But I want you to think about this. The perfect mixture of oxygen. Because if there were more oxygen, just a couple of percent, a fire would burn uncontrollable. uncontrollable. A little bit less, and you could barely get one going. And I'll share that with, with an experience. When we went out west in 2015, we were traveling at about 5,000 elevation. And we lit a campfire with some friends one evening and we were roasting some hot dogs. And it just took forever for these hot dogs to get done. And I'm like, what is the matter? I do not understand what's going on here. And they said, the fire's not as hot here. Have you ever heard of cool fire? Well, that took just a little bit for that to soak into my brain. And so I asked, I mean, what do you mean by the fire is not as hot here? And they said it's higher elevation. There's not as much oxygen. Therefore, the fire doesn't burn quite as hot. And that got my wheels turning. God knows exactly what He's doing. In His creation, He knows exactly what He's doing. In His creation of mankind, womankind, He knows exactly what He is doing. And in the creation of the home, God knows exactly what He's doing. Mankind has messed it up all through history, and we see that in the very beginning, in the fall of man. But God created this earth, this perfect environment. He created the perfect tilt for the rotation for the seasons. He created the sun, moon, and stars to rule as He decided they should. And many, many more intricate details that we cannot even come close to covering. But why did He do it? He did it for His glory. And so the Christian home, as we're looking at it this evening, is for God's glory. And we can magnify Him by our homes or we can detract from that glory by the way that we live but we see in the very beginning here in Matthew um, chapter 1 verse 27 after he had pre finished preparing this perfect environment God made man it says after his image created he him male and female created he them and God blessed them and said God said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God put them in charge of this perfect creation that He had made. 
Verse 29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which the fruit of a yielding tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and every creeping th everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw. He looked at what He created, and He saw it was very good. So, did God give them a Christian home? We know that God gave them a place to dwell. We know that God gave them some a, a place where they could fellowship together, where they could live together and love together, where they could worship Him. But did He build them a house? Where did they live? Well, we read in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Who was that Word? That was Jesus Christ in the very beginning. Christ was there in that creation and He was doing it for His glory. Was it a Christian home? It may not have been, quote, <laughs> that Christian home like we mandate, I mean, like we uh, define today. But God had created them he had given them a place to live. He provided them with all their food and clothes. God had given them a job. He gave them some direction. He blessed them with children. And we see that these children, some did and some didn't do what Adam and Eve had shared with them. We see their oldest, I think, or we see Abel, that was conscientious. He was following the directives of God. We see Cain as someone that was jealous and maybe even disrespectful and, and allowed sin to come into his life. And we see how God drove him away. But we also see down the road just a little bit in chapter 4. I want you to turn there with me if you will. In the last part of chapter 4, says in verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Now, I want you to pay attention to this last verse here. Verse 26. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. The last of this verse says, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. There was a time span there that obviously they were not walking with God. And we see the downfall of mankind and death and then sin entering in. And we see Seth coming along a little while later. And he had a son... And it is then that they started calling on the, on the name of the Lord. I want you to think about this. We have learned 
how to apply knowledge from the past. Okay, We learn things and then we build upon those things. We look at mankind in the very beginning, how he learned things and then continually built upon those things. And man has done a very good job of, of searching and applying the knowledge and building upon the past little by little. We see that. And we see now, today, scientists can see way out into space. And I don't know exactly how far they can actually see. But with that same technology, they can see the minute parts of a cell and determine genetics and DNA and other mind-boggling advancements. But what is man done to better the home. Or maybe we could bring that just a little bit closer. What have you done to better the home? We grow up in, for the most part, Christian homes, Christian circles, a godly church, something that teaches the truth of God's Word. We have good preaching. We have good teaching. But what are we contributing to the Christian home? Are we taking those details that we have learned and applying them and the knowledge that we gain and applying them to the Christian home? To our home? To your home? Are we teaching that then to our children so that they can precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, learn to apply that to their homes. But like I've told our children in many times past, we want you to excel spiritually beyond where we have failed. Because we all do fail. We all do struggle. We all do sin. But the part that we need to remember is that we need to confess our faults. We need to say, I'm sorry. And then we can patch up that relationship with others and with God. We have writings of many books. We have writings on psychology. We have writings on sociology. We have writings on parenting and discipline. We have writings on so many things of many, many experts in the field. Are you one of those experts? Well, I'm not. But we all do learn from experience. And there's no question about that. But apart from God and His wis Word, His wisdom, which comes from above, we are helplessly lost in the society that we live. And it is only that as we turn to God, as we develop a relationship with Him, we're just going to be groping through this world, through this life of decisions, through this life of consequences, and we look out around us, some even in our own families, and we see the consequences of life decisions and what it has done to people, to families, to the home. So where do we start? In all of this, where do we start? We certainly can't go back to the beginning where Adam and Eve were, 
We certainly can't see all of that stuff taking place, but we can read it as a fact of truth. But in Proverbs 9, it says, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And so for each one of us, right there is a good starting point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy gives us understanding. It is understanding. Seth or Enos, as we looked here, it says, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Obviously, they had a good starting point. Where did they learn that? Well, it doesn't really say. But obviously, in the very beginning, there was a relationship between God and Adam. I don't know how that filtered down through, but obviously there was a certain time where these men, these sons of Adam, began to call upon the name of the Lord. A good starting point. The home, each one of us know, needs to have a good starting point. And that's personally our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is a good starting point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Have you found that starting point in your life? And I see married couples here, and I see younger children. I see some in the middle, some at the end. Make that choice as the perfect, that great starting point, calling upon the name of the Lord. The Christian home doesn't just start when you get married. It starts from little up in the experiences that you have in your home. And we have good experiences in our homes as we're growing up. And we have bad experiences in our homes growing up. And those experiences that we have, we count them as normal until we see something better. Or maybe even Worse, we see those as normal. But also a good starting place is to, the, to evaluate the choice of a life mate. Evaluate their character qualities. And this, this is not a sermon on finding your life mate, no. But part of the Christian home is finding someone that is going to help build up the Christian home. So the, one of the questions I have is, does this person display an interest, in, an interest and desire to faithfully serve the Lord? Now I've met a lot of people over the years. Some people are intent and intense. Some people are nonchalant. Some people do not care. And then there are a lot of people all the way in between that. But as we observe others, we can see lots of things about their lives. Are they seeking to perfect the fruits of the Spirit? We see in Scripture, it tells us these fruits of the Spirit that Christians are supposed to continue to perfect. Are they seeking to perfect the fruits of the Spirit? Are they willing to sacrifice their time or wants to meet the needs of someone else? And as I studied for this message just a bit, I thought about the attributes of a Christian marriage partner and 
what stood out to me that was that God wants all of us, men and women, to come together at that good starting point, that fear of the Lord. He wants us all there first. Be established in our faith. He wants people that are devoted to His service. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Are they following God? Are they seeking Him out? Are these fruits being perfected? Are you seeing growth and maturity? Are you seeing someone that you know will be beneficial to you and your family? Someone that can love and respect, but also can submit. Ephesians 5.9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Do we see good fruits coming out of others? Are we actually living those good fruits in our lives? Ephesians 5.21 Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Can you, like I said, can you see an attitude of submission not only to God first, but also to others? I want you to turn with me then to Philippians. A number of ver verses there. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 starting at verse 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill you my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, my father-in-law has shared many times that if we would just practice the golden rule, there would be so many problems solved in all of life. But as we look at these verses right here in Philippians, if we could put to practice these verses in ourselves personally, in our homes, and in our relationships, it would solve a tremendous amount of problems. But we need to practice them ourselves personally. But as we make evaluation of others, we need to, and I say this very, very adamantly, we need to make sure that we take stock of our own lives. We need to be looking in the mirror and evaluating ourselves with a holy God. And are we doing the things that we are expecting of others? Because we all know that it's easy to talk the talk, but it's a little bit harder to walk the walk. Are we practicing these things in life? We know that marriage is ordained of God. Back in Genesis chapter 2, we see God making man. And we see in verse 18, I'm going to read a couple of verses there and then we're going to be back in Ephesians. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And Adam gave names to all the cattle. This is verse 20, skipping verse 19. Adam gave names, gave names to all cattle and to, all, to the fowl of the air 
and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So in the beginning, God created those two beings. He brought them together and this marriage was ordained. And his, this man was supposed to leave and cleave. And as I shared in another message, it's like bringing two colors of clay, modeling clay together. And that cleaving means to weld or to mesh together. And if you were to have a figure of a man in blue clay and a figure of a woman in red or pink clay, and you were to bring those two pieces of clay together and mash them into one, because it says one flesh, you would never be able to separate those two types of clay ever again. You could get most of it out. You could get most of it separated, but it is mashed together. It is molded together. It is one. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Over in Ephesians. God gave us some directives as men and women. Ephesians chapter 22. These are very familiar verses. Not looking down on women at all. But it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then it gives some instruction for men. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the Word. I love that verse. That verse jumped out at me I don't know how many years ago, but that verse 26 jumped out at me as a husband and a father that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. This book right here, this Word of God cleanses us. As we read, as we study, it washes us. Why do we wash? To get clean again. Because oftentimes in life, we fail, we fall down, we get dirty, we got to get back up. And sometimes we dust the dirt off and try to get going again. But in all reality, there's still some dust and dirt there and you have to wash it. There's still some remnant of that dirt either on our clothes or in our lives and we have to wash it that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. Why? Verse 27, 
that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Picture that wedding day. I can just imagine a bride getting up and going over to the hamper and pulling her her wedding dress out of that hamper and it's all wrinkled and smelly and oh but it's just a wedding day and she puts that thing on and it might have a spot on it but she can dust it off but the wrinkles they're still there and some of the other things the smudges and the the smell it's still there now wouldn't that be a lovely wedding dress far far from it we know in our own small minds that we would never consider doing something like that. But this washing, this sanctifying, is that He might present it to Himself a glorious church. And so, do I have spots? Do I have wrinkles? Do I have a smell about me? Or any such thing? That it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Men, I know that none of us would ever want to take that wedding garment and smear that garment. And I know that many of us would not want to wear an old raggedy suit or anything to our own wedding. But it says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Verse 30 says, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, as we read about earlier in the creation. And verse 32 says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Something that is eternal a love that is unconditional and yet we finite men and women need to meet a certain amount of conditions we need to come to the foot of the cross we need to begin our journey of faith and then when we come together as husband and wife being one flesh then we present something to the world by our relationship this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Love, serve, and cherish. Isn't that what we're all supposed to do? Love, serve, and cherish. So those of you that are married, is that where you want to be? Do you want to love, serve, and cherish? Or do you want them to love, serve, and cherish you? Well, I think it's kind of twofold. But it takes work. We build upon the knowledge of the past. But what are we building? That is my question. What am I building? And unless we are willing to follow what the Bible teaches, again, we cannot expect someone else to do more than what we are willing to do. In 1 Peter, it, it uh, repeats some of these very words. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, 
that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation, by that service, by that submission, by that love, by that cherishing. While they behold your chaste conversation, while they observe you living out the gospel and loving them and serving them and cherishing them, that they may be one. And that goes both ways. Verse 3, Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning, the plaiting of the hair, or of the wearing of gold, or of putting on the apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in sight of God a great price. Ladies, guard your, guard your minds. Guard your bodies. Men, share with your wives so that they know what you mean to them and that you want to guard what you consider them as their bride, your bride, to be only for yourself. And then teach your, your daughters the same. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. Not the outward display, not the attraction to see, look at me, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, I want to do, say this as well. Ladies, we need your input. There's no question about it. We need your input in our lives because you see a perspective from a feminine point of view that many of us as men cannot see. And so we need your perspective. We need your thoughts. But we also need you to give us that certain amount of respect and honor because yeah, that's just the way God created us. It says, For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, little L, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. I'm not giving you a new command for you to go home and call your husband Lord. No. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what the Word of God is saying. I think it is saying love, honor, cherish. Love, serve, and cherish. Follow God's proper order of headship because that's what God designed. And when we do it God's way, we are on the winning team. But in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Here we go to that word again, knowledge. We gain knowledge. We add to that knowledge. We grow and grow and grow it. But are we doing that in our homes? Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor. There's a word again. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. That verse also jumped out at me a number of years ago giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 
Is God hearing your prayer? I think He will as we follow what He teaches here. And He's telling us, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor, loving them, serving them, cherishing them. When we take our proper roles as husband and wife, we, in essence, proclaim the truth of God's Word. And God says in His Word that it's going to work. So my question or my thought is this. My question is, is your marriage working? I'm sure that there'll be bumps along the way. There's going to be things that you're going to have to work out. There's no question about that. So if our marriage is not working, then sometime, somewhere, one of us is going to have to take a look and see what needs to be done. And we often are easily, it's often easy to look around and say, well, they did this and this and this and this. But again, let's look at the mirror. Let's look at the mirror of God's Word and His truth. And let's look at the, the things that God is showing me in my life that I need to change. Are we willing to make those changes, those sacrifices? Are we willing to take that step? Are we willing to go out on a limb? And how can we say, Lord, give us Christian homes if we're not willing to put forth that effort ourselves personally. If you were to show up to your job on Monday and you were to take some of your tools and just throw them here and throw them there, if you were to talk bad to your employees or co-workers, if you would just neglect and not even share, not even communicate, pretty soon our jobs would go quickly down the tubes. Are we communicating in our marriage? Are we communicating with our wives? Are we communicating with our children? We build upon the knowledge of the past. And we build upon the knowledge that has been passed on to us. Are we making our home a better place? where our children, our wives, our husbands, and those that come after can succeed spiritually. Every once in a while, driving down the road, you'll see a sign. It's a for sale sign. And sometimes those signs say, lot for sale. Sometimes they'll say, house for sale. And sometimes you'll see one that says, home for sale. But people, there's no home there until there are people there. It's just an empty building. It's just an empty shell. It may be a house, but until people are in that building, it is not a home. So what type of home are we building? My prayer is that we can allow God to grant us the desire, the power, and the courage to build our homes that glorify a holy God, to follow His precepts, and to build upon past experiences, past knowledge, and even input from others 
that we can grow in His likeness. And may the Lord give us Christian homes as we seek those homes. Lord bless you. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to look into Your Word. And Father, I recognize that in my own feeble efforts, I've but scratched the surface of the Christian home. But Father, I pray this evening that if one thought, if one question, if one verse, if one example has helped or challenged someone here, or maybe someone that is listening or may listen, Father, may You receive the glory and honor. May our homes exemplify Christ, our relationship with Him. And may that faith be passed on to future generations for Your glory. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated.